So every one of us has a unique story. Okay, and I'm not trying to sound like a high school assembly motivational speaker here, uh, although we probably all heard that assembly. You're a unique human being, and no one else is exactly like you, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the principle is true, uh, and it really is. Uh, and for some, we're really glad no one else looks like you. But God has wired you differently from anyone else on the planet. You are wired. It's not just how you look, but how you are wired on the inside. You are different. God has a plan for you that isn't the same as the person sitting next to you. Your story is unique. And if you're a follower of Jesus, here's the thing, you have the same mission as every other follower of Jesus. Your mission is not different than theirs. But how God is going to use you to live that out is going to be unique to your story. And today on this Vision Sunday, we're going to be talking about trilogies unique story, who we are at the core of who we are. Some of you have joined the Trilogy family just recently. You've just started attending and may not have been around at the beginning, you know, when we launched the church and we talked for a long time about what we value, those things that are important to us as we live out the mission that God has called us to, um, that Jesus has given us. Others of you, you've been around for a while. But here's the thing. I think every one of us needs regular reminders about who we are as a church. Why? Because who we are tells us how we live out our story. It tells us what's important. It tells us how we can stay in alignment with one another. And when it comes to the church that you call home, uh, it should be personal. There needs to be ownership there. That this is not just the church that I attend, that's the church I go to, but that Trilogy is your church. That we would be able to say Trilogy is my church, it's our church, and we know it's his church. And we all share the same story there. But our unique story as a church is not the foundation. That's not the foundation. Our story defines who we will be as a church, but when you're building a house, the first thing you have to do is pour the foundation. We're in the middle of building our second home here in Texas. The first thing we did after we cleared the land and got that ready is the foundation was poured. And the foundation is the key to everything that comes later. If the foundation is off, you're in trouble. doesn't matter how nice a house you build. If that foundation crumbles, kiss it goodbye. If it's not solid, nothing else matters. And the houses that get built on top of those foundations, here's the thing. They're all going to look different, aren't they? They're all going to have different layouts, different configurations, different cosmetic things. But the foundation is still the same. The foundation is still solid. It doesn't change. It doesn't move. And the same is true for God's church. Matthew 7, 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. That's our foundation, church. Our foundation is God's word. Our foundation is the teaching of Jesus. The word of God gives us everything we need to do church. Jesus has not only called us, he's equipped us. He's sent us out. And even though most churches are built on that foundation, they're going to look different. <laughs> Everybody knows we look different. We're in a living room. Okay, I mean, this looks different than a lot of churches that maybe you've been a part of in the past. But here's the thing. What surrounds us, yes, that's one aspect of what looks different, but how we live out the mission that God has given us also looks different from other churches. And we're going to talk about that. 
Other churches are going to have different expressions of how to do what Jesus has called us to do. But we've all got the same reason for being. Every church that believes and follows the Bible is built on the same foundation. So let's take a look at that first. When it comes to the church, Jesus spells it out pretty plainly that what we're called to do. In fact, it's one of the final things he says before he goes back to heaven. This is, this is like one of the last things Jesus throws out to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't ever forget that last part. We always talk about go and make disciples, okay, that that's our mission. But I want you to understand it. Don't ever let go of that truth that as we live on mission for Jesus, he is with us and always will be. It's known as the Great Commission. And the big idea that the church is founded on is that. The Great Commission is kind of the big idea. We are to go into all the world and make disciples. It's that simple. Um, help people learn what it means to be loved by God, to love God in return, uh, to introduce them to what it means to follow Jesus, and then to walk with them, showing them what a life following Jesus looks like as we live that out ourselves. And he specifically here in Matthew 28 mentions water baptism, which is why baptism is so important, not just for you as a follower of Jesus, but for the church as well. Baptism is an important moment, not just for the individual, but for the church, because it's what we're called to. The church is supposed to be the witnesses when someone goes public with their faith, which is what water baptism is. And so we get to celebrate, we get to witness that moment, and cheer them on and welcome them into God's family through that moment of water baptism. Uh, we love baptisms here at Trilogy, and if you've not taken that step yet of being baptized in water, please let me know that you would like to be baptized, because we would love to celebrate with you in water baptism. Now, the Great Commission ends with an amazing word of encouragement. I already talked about this. I am with you always. Jesus is with us, and the meaning here is not that Jesus is just in the same room with us, but he's for us. He's fighting alongside us. It's not just present, but it's present with a purpose. Jesus has not just sent us, he is with us. And it's so important to remember when things get difficult that Jesus has not just sent us, he didn't just point a, a finger in the direction we're supposed to go and say, go get it. He says, I am with you. He's now moving in us and through us to help us accomplish this incredible mission of making disciples. So the next place the Bible shows us what God had in mind for the church is found in Acts chapter 2. And this is the early church. This is just as the, the church, the only church, is, is getting off the ground and starting to grow and starting to live this life that Jesus had told them to live. Luke describes what the early church looked like. What did they do to do church? Uh, and as we read this, I want you to think about trilogy. Is this how you would like us to be known? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 
A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day... The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Come on, somebody. I mean, that's the best description for a church I've ever heard in my life. You can't really improve upon God's word. Uh, So there there are really some big rocks in there that we want to make sure form part of how we do what we do here at Trilogy. And we'll cover that in a few minutes. And then finally, there's a passage in the middle of Jesus' teaching ministry that reveals the heart of God for the church. And as we go about this mission of making more and better disciples, uh, this is the direction we want to be leaning in. And and we want our hearts to lean in the direction that God's heart leans. And we find that in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, there are three different parables that are told sequentially in Luke 15, and they all build on this same theme. And it's like Jesus just pummeling them. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. I'm going to keep hitting you so you get this. And it starts with the parable of the lost sheep. And maybe you've heard this story where the the shepherd would leave the 99 to pursue the one that had wandered away, right? So there's that parable of the lost sheep. And then he transitions into the parable of the lost coin. And and there's this, this woman who won't stop searching until she finds that one coin that was lost. And she just keeps searching, keeps searching, and won't stop and diligently pursues until that lost coin is found. And then we have the parable of the lost son. We also refer to him as the prodigal son uh, who left and recklessly spent all that he had. He took his dad's inheritance and just left. And finally, he realized he needed to come back. And the father's waiting for him and embraces his lost son that had come home. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. There's one common denominator in all three of those stories, and that is the word lost. And there has to be an emphasis in every church who wants to follow the model the Bible sets out for us on those who have not yet found Jesus, on the lost, joining together but focused on those who are in our neighborhood, looking outward, reaching out to those who are lost. This is what the heart of God is for his church. So this is the foundation. Every church that wants to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us need to make sure that that foundation is solid and then build on that. Jesus said to go and make disciples. It's a movement word. So we need to be going and doing, but that leaves us with some questions. If we're going, where are we going? What does that look like? I said earlier that every church has the same foundation, but we're going to build something unique on top of that foundation. Every church has a unique story, a unique expression of how it will accomplish the Great Commission. It changes based on culture, location, leadership, and the way God directs them. And we're moving in the direction Jesus pointed the church to make disciples, but we're doing it in the way that God has called Trilogy to do it. So what are we doing? Here's our mission. This is what we set out to do when we launched the church uh, about almost seven years ago, helping people become part of God's family through a life-changing, constantly growing relationship with Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to help people become part of God's family through a life-changing, constantly growing relationship with Jesus. And I think the key in here is threefold. Number one, we help people become part of God's family. We don't wait for them to become part of God's family. 
We help them in that process. We reach out to them. We model for them. We, re- we talk to them. We pray for them. We help them to become part of God's family through a life-changing relationship that there is that defining moment where God transforms their life, and it is different. We have before Christ, and then we have after Christ, and everything is different on the other side of that. So we want that life-changing relationship, but then it's a constantly growing relationship that we don't just say, okay, now I'm good. I've got my get-out-of-jail-free card, so now I can do whatever I want. No, there's this constantly growing process of becoming more like Jesus, and that is discipleship. So that's my prayer for each one of you. Become part of God's family, experience that life-changing and constantly growing relationship with Jesus. So why do we do this? Why do we do things the way we do them? What is important to us? Well, those are our values. This is what makes Trilogy, Trilogy. And each one of these is huge and a huge part of who we are. And I'm not going to go into a ton of detail now on each one of these because I feel God wants us to park on one of them this morning. But let me share the four values with you. The first is new stories. This is God doing new things in our lives. Salvation is one of those new things. When God brings healing to our life, that's doing something new. When God calls us to a new level of service, that's doing something new. Acts 19.17, the story of what happened spread quickly, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. So new stories should be a regular part of what we do. The second is strong families. Joshua 24, 15, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. This has been a part of who we are from the beginning, that we want to invest in families. We want to invest in marriages. We want to invest in parents. We want to invest in our next-gen ministries and see our strong kids programs and student programs. We want to see God grow the family and grow it strong. Next is healthy relationships. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law can be summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, healthy relationships are critical to what we do. That's why we emphasize living life and doing life in community. This is not a solo race. This is not for you to make it alone. But we live life out, in, we live our faith out in community. Our neighborhood groups are a great example of this. As we do life together on a weekly basis, we eat meals together, we hang out, we talk about the word of God, we process what God talked about the last Sunday, all those different things. We do life together and we want healthy relationships as a result. And finally, an outward focus. Luke 10.2, the harvest is great, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. I will not allow our church to turn our chairs inward and just focus on who we are. We have to maintain that outward focus. We have to always be looking out to our community. We have to always be looking out, as Luke 15 said, to the lost that are around us. We have to be reaching out in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our community for those that need to know him. And that outward focus always has to be maintained because the pull is always going to be in. The pull is always going to be towards community because we're, we're comfortable, because it's what we know. And so we will always feel that draw inward. And we have to maintain that pressure outward just to maintain an equilibrium there. And so we have to maintain that outward focus. Here's the thing, Trilogy. What we're about today can be just a bunch of words, or it can be a catalyst to change the world, to see families restored here in the north part of the Metroplex. What is going to make the difference? You and me, all of us. You have something to offer here. God brought you here for a reason. We just talked about our reason for being. What sets Trilogy apart? What is it that's unique about us, our story? And for the rest of our time together this morning, I want to talk about the first value that we just shared, and that is new stories. 
From the beginning of trilogy, in fact, even before the beginning, when it was just a dream that God had put in my and Melissa's hearts, he also gave me a phrase that motivated me, that drove me forward in this process of beginning a new church, of moving from Arizona to Texas to begin building relationships to to start a new church. And this was the phrase, it's time to write a new story. It's time to write a new story. At first, it was just for me, you know, that that was what God was doing in me. And then it became more for the church than it was for me. And hopefully some of you have adopted that and and really own that thought, that concept, that God wanted to use us and this church we were going to plant to do something new, to reach people who had not yet been reached, to bring people together in a new church family that God was going to use in amazing ways. And we're still just getting started. And there have already been a ton of amazing stories that have happened in this, these first few years of our existence. Lives have been changed. Needs have been met. People have been saved and baptized. And those stories are going to remain with us for the rest of our lives. Some of you, it's because you're the one who has been transformed. That God changed your life at a service here at Trilogy or as part of a neighborhood group or somebody reaching out to you. Some of you, it's because God used you to transform someone else's life. And that will never leave you. That will be with you forever. And others of you, because you were there celebrating along with them and praying for them. So let me start off by defining what I mean by new stories. If that's one of our primary values, part of our unique story, we should probably have a good idea of what it means. And here's what I say. As we read the Bible, we discover a God who is constantly doing something new. All throughout the Bible, God is wanting to change and transform the status quo and to upset when people get kind of content. Uh, One of my favorite prayers that I've ever heard, uh, a guy prayed at a conference I was at. He said, God, would you comfort those that are disturbed and disturb those who have gotten too comfortable? I'm like, man, that's a great prayer. And uh, I've never forgotten it to this day. And I think that's what God is always doing. He's doing something new, changing the status quo, never settling for what is, but pushing for what should be according to his incredibly perfect plan. And we see it at creation. We see it when the Israelites were in captivity. We see it when Jesus came to change even the way God relates to his creation and brought that new covenant. Uh, We see it in the early church and the constant life transformation we see talked about throughout the book of Acts. We see it in the promise of Jesus returning and how he will make things new again. Again and again and again, God is doing new things. He's writing new stories. And we want to be in a church who is at the center of new stories being written in us and through us because of Jesus, but using us to do it. That's how God uses his church. Isaiah 43, 19 is a verse that I go back to regularly. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And I want you to let that verse just kind of simmer in your soul for a second. uh, Because I believe this is what the Holy Spirit is regularly saying to our church. God is constantly bringing me back to this verse. Time after time, it comes to my memory as I'm praying. I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. And how many of you want to see God do something new through our church? How many of you want to see God's power at work, to see God do something new through our church, to reach our communities, to see families restored and strengthened? God is about to do something new. And you may have just started coming to Trilogy in the past six months or so. This may all be new to you. You may feel as I talk about the past here this morning and where we've come from that you've missed out on something. 
And I want you to know that uh, you are a part of the new thing that God has already begun. We're never going to be dwelling on the past. We're always going to be looking to where God is leading. And so I believe he brought you here for this time, for this season, to see something new take place. Those who have been here from the beginning have laid a foundation that we are building upon. And now you get to come alongside and build with us. It's going to be incredible, church, and we're going to be right in the middle of it. So the first part of what New Stories means to us is that we want to see God do something new. To experience all that God has for us, and for not just for us, but for the families in the community around us. But that's only half of it. Here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. As you leave this morning, I want this thought to be in your head. God wants you to experience a new story so you can share a new story. God wants you to experience a new story so you can share a new story. And that is the pattern that we see play out in Scripture. God does something for someone or in someone, and they tell others. That is what we see again and again and again. In fact, even when Jesus told them not to, don't tell anyone, go straight home, they ignored him, and they went and told everybody because they could not contain themselves and told everyone they could find about what Jesus had done for them. Today, I mean, in our world today, when something significant happens, it spreads pretty quickly, doesn't it? I mean, just yesterday, Orrin Hatch passed away. If you know Orrin Hatch, he was a U.S. Senator for the state of Utah for 42 years. He served as a U.S. Senator. Uh, he died yesterday at the age of 88. And instantly, my phone lit up with a notification from like six different news sources. So again and again and again and again and again, uh, I just kept getting these notifications. Within minutes of something significant happening, we know. It's crazy how quickly events travel in our culture today. Now, just so you're aware, they did not have iPhones yet back in Jesus' time. Um, in fact, they didn't even have pagers yet. Uh, I don't know. How did they even text each other? It's crazy. Um, but even though they didn't have the tech that we have today, I want to remind you of the verse that God gave me as this theme verse for Trilogy when we launched the church, and that was Acts 19 again. The story of what happened spread quickly, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. They didn't have the tech, but the story spread. And it wasn't through the internet. It was through people. It was through his church. And for the next few minutes we have together this morning, I want to share a few thoughts about how the story spread. We're going to continue to pray together. We're going to continue to seek God. We're going to continue to pursue him in worship and the word. This is what we do. But we are going to see God do new stories in our lives and in our church. But it's our responsibility to make sure that it does not stop with me. It does not stop with you. It's your responsibility to make sure it does not stop with you. It needs to be shared. God wants you to experience a new story so you can share a new story. I want to first look at that verse I just read again in Acts 19.17 about the story spreading quickly. But you need to understand that that is not the entire passage there. It captures the meaning, but there's more to this story. So here's the full text of what the passage says here. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. You could probably assume this is not going to end well. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, 
but who are you? <laughs> then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly. All through Ephesus, to Jews and Greeks alike, a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. So you can see why the verse that I chose is just a segment of that story, because it kind of is a unique story, isn't it? Um, but here's the deal. This passage has these wannabes trying to perform the miraculous, and I want you to understand the principle that's contained here. There's a difference between knowing a formula and knowing Jesus. There's a difference between knowing a formula and knowing Jesus. They were trying to reproduce a formula. That if I just do what they did, I'm going to get the same results. No, no, no. If you know who they know, then you'll be able to do what they do. And they weren't there. And now listen, I want you to hear another story from the life of Jesus that had similar reactions from people. And it's found in Luke 7. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral possession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When he, the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. You see that again and again throughout the Gospels, this heart of compassion emanating from Jesus. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. That's a huge no-no. You might walk right past that, but if you understand Jewish culture, you do not go near a dead body, let alone touch a casket, because you become ceremonially unclean. You can't go to the temple. You can't worship. You can't do anything you're supposed to do until you go through this whole long process of getting yourself right again. And Jesus is a rabbi. That is just not done. He touches the coffin, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. I think that's kind of a contradiction because he was no longer dead at that point. Um, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. Listen to this. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. The story was told. Both of these stories have something in common, and that is when people realize that the power of God is real, they are going to talk about it. When people see the power of God, the genuine power of God at work, it is going to cause a stir. They talk about fear sweeping the city and sweeping the crowd, but the word for fear in this case is not horror, it's awe, it's reverence, a holy respect that was generated in these people. And that is what happens when the power of God shows up. When people understand what God is capable of, for some of them, there's a sudden realization of just how wrong they've been. And they have offended a God who is that powerful. And so there's this reality check moment for them. For others, it's a beginning of understanding that God can make a difference in their lives. If God can do that, he can certainly help me. Regardless of the cause, people are going to talk. And when God heals someone of cancer, people are going to talk. When God restores a marriage that had crumbled to dust, people are going to talk. When someone gets saved and becomes a completely different person because the Holy Spirit does a miraculous, regenerative work inside of them, people are going to talk. But here's the thing, guys. I don't want to be a church that reads about God's power at work. I want to be a church that sees God's power at work. I don't want this to be just stories in a book, or the book in this case, I want this to be our story. 
I want to see God at work. Let people start talking about, oh, that trilogy church, God's up to something there. I don't know what it's all about, but there's something different. That's how they talked about Jesus. People didn't always know what to make of him. They didn't understand him, but they were always talking about him. I want people talking about Jesus because of what God is doing here at Trilogy. The new stories that God is going to do here are not just for us. They are to be shared. And as we finish up this morning, I want to look at two more quick examples of stories spreading quickly in the New Testament and why they spread. Because we want to make sure that Trilogy doesn't become Las Vegas in more ways than one. Um, But what happens at Trilogy should never stay in Trilogy. Okay? It needs to go out. It needs to be shared. Here's what we see in the days of the early church of stories that spread quickly. Acts chapter 2 is another one. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus. This is Peter's sermon. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? They were convicted. And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord your God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners. Maybe that's why preachers can't shut up. You know, because Peter's just like, he made his point, they responded, and he just kept going. But uh, Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And listen to this. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. 3,000 people. This was the very definition of something going viral. Jesus had died, his followers were gone, their leader was gone, but then something happened that changed every one of them forever. He was resurrected. That alone is worth sharing. This story led to life change in others. It was the answer for the problem that people could not fix on their own, the problem of sin. The miraculous gets shared. And when things happen that we're not capable of doing ourselves, people share it. Today, people are facing all sorts of problems in life, in their families, at their jobs, with their finances, in health, problems they can't solve. But Jesus came to solve the unsolvable problems of our lives. And his resurrection demonstrates just how far he is willing to go to fix what is broken. But here's what I want you to see. This news alone was not enough to go viral. The story was not enough. His disciples, if left on their own, would not have carried his message. It wasn't the message that compelled them to share it, because even after the resurrection, they were kind of just doing their own thing. They weren't motivated yet. It was Jesus and his spirit, his Holy Spirit at work within them, that compelled them. After the resurrection, some of the disciples were still kind of wandering. They were still kind of lost. They were unclear about the future. There was uncertainty all over the place. But Jesus took what was unclear and brought clarity. In Matthew 28, 19, he left no doubt to what they and we are supposed to do. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's like, guys, come on. You got something to do, now go do it. And then he told them they weren't on their own to do it. 
Acts 1, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized in water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then a few weeks later, all heaven broke loose. They were gathered in the upper room of a home in Jerusalem, praying just what Jesus had told them to do, seeking God and this promised Holy Spirit that they were to wait for. And boy, did he show up. The sound of a ferocious wind filled that room, and the fire of God appeared over every one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began praising God in spiritual languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the words to speak. And the power that was released in the room that day fueled the growth of the early church, led to those 3,000 people getting saved, and is our power source today. If we're left on our own, I believe the church today would be just like the disciples. We would focus on ourselves. We would wonder and be afraid of what people would think. We would be uncertain about how to move forward, but that same spirit who ripped through that upper room 2,000 years ago is still at work in his church today. We need a fresh wind, as we sang earlier. When we are led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, there are no limits to how God can use us. For some of you, the new story that you need to experience is to receive this incredible gift that Jesus promised to all of his followers, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You've never asked God to fill you and empower you as he did to his disciples here and, and others that we read throughout you know, the book of Acts. Again and again, the disciples prayed for more people to receive this gift because they knew how important it was. Jesus never intended for us to do this, to attempt to live for him and be a witness for him without the empowering gift of the Holy Spirit to fuel us, to make it possible. So begin asking God to fill you if you've never done that before. I'd be glad to talk to you more about this amazing gift. If you've got questions, just walk you through the scriptures, just hit me up and we'll talk. For others of you, you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you're not walking in it. You're not living in that power. And you need to pray and ask God to restore that fire in your life. Your new story is to ask God to awaken his power in your life. Here's the thing. Who are we to think that we can accomplish anything for God without the gift that he has given us to do it? In fact, when we see Jesus on mission, what does the Bible say about Jesus all through the Gospels when he's on mission? It says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, dot, dot, dot. Jesus was empowered by that same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's power at work in the world today. How in the world can we possibly think we can make this happen without it if Jesus needed God's Spirit? Ask God to give you the power you need today. Ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not only the difference maker in your life, it's a difference maker in his church uh, it's what sets apart God's church from the United Way. It's what makes Trilogy different from other organizations in our community trying to make a difference without God. We need the Holy Spirit. Finally, I want to share one last story, and then we're done. When Jesus met with a Samaritan woman one day, we know her as the woman in the well, or woman at the well, not in the well. That would be wet uh, in Scripture. And I'm not going to share the entire story this morning, but the interaction between them is captivating as Jesus identifies her needs and then he shows her that he is the answer to those needs, and that she could find new life by following him, and she becomes a follower of Jesus that day, and everything changes for her. And we read in John 4, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. 
Could he possibly be the Messiah? Now, before I go on, can you just pause and wrap your head around that? She's not even convinced yet. Could he be the Messiah? And yet she's still sharing. Because God had begun a work in her that was so transformative that even before she lands the plane on this deal, she's out telling everybody she can. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. John 4, 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe. Not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. You want to know the secret to all those people getting saved? A whole village getting transformed? Of coming to faith in Jesus? How did the story spread so quickly? How was Jesus' name honored in this story? She shared it. She told the story. She told her story. What has God done for me? When God does something in us, we need to share it. For many of you, God has changed your life, just like he changed the life of this woman at the well. He's set you free from your past. He's restored you. He's provided for you. But the difference between her and you is that maybe you haven't shared it with anyone yet. It's not a conversation that you've had. And my prayer for all of us is that we would be as compelled as she was to share our story. As the ones that Jesus healed were compelled to share their story. Again and again and again, they went out and they told everybody they knew. You were designed to share it. It's part of how God created you. Experience a new story and then share it with a world who needs to experience the power of God just like we do. Let's pray. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. God, we thank you for the power of your word to pierce our hearts, to touch us, to challenge us, to convict us, and to transform us. And so, Lord, this morning as we uh, come now to the other side of this message, I pray that you would speak to each one of us in a special and powerful way today. And God, I ask that you would uh, challenge us in specific ways. And keep your heads bowed in prayer for just a second. I just want to ask real quickly this morning, if you need the, a new story and that you need to make the decision to follow Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity today to say, hey, I haven't been living for God and I need to be. I need God to forgive me. I need God to transform my life so I can live for him. And it's as simple as you just acknowledging, God, I need you. I want to follow you. Would you forgive me? Come into my life and I will serve you. It's that easy. It's that simple. Now, on the other side of that, there's all sorts of choices that we need to make and all decisions that we got to walk uh, out for the rest of our lives. But right now, it's just as simple as making that decision. So if you're here this morning and you would say, I need, that's my new story that I need today. I need God to forgive me and set me free from sin so I can follow him. If that's you, would you just lift your hand real quickly and I'll pray for you as we close. All right, thank you. Anybody else? Awesome. Second thing, maybe you need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life in a way that it's not right now. 
Obviously, when we invite Jesus into our lives, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. The Bible promises that, that we receive the Holy Spirit at that moment. But there is that gift that God gives us, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the Bible describes as something later that we need to ask God for and seek God for, and he empowers us to do the work that he's called us to do. And maybe you would just begin that process right now of saying, God, would you fill me? I want everything that you have for me. I don't fully understand it maybe, but God, if, if you said in your word that it's something I need, then I want it. And I'd love to pray for you this morning. If you'd say, hey, I want all that God has for me, and I'm not even sure I have all the answers, but I want God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. Would you just lift your hand right now and say, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Awesome. Finally, the last thing I want to challenge you with, and maybe you, you need to raise your hand again. You've already raised it, but this is something, something else God is speaking to you. But you've got a story. God has done something at work in your life, and you're not sharing it. And God has convicted you this morning and saying, hey, you need to start sharing the new story that I've given you. And you would say, yes, God, I will. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, I'm going to start sharing my story. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the new stories that you're writing right now in this room. God, I pray for those that lifted their hand just a few moments ago and said, God, I, I need to start over. I need a fresh start. I need you to forgive me. I need to be able to move forward, Lord, following you. And God, I pray that you would transform their lives miraculously in this moment. God, let this be a new story like they've never seen. And Lord, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. Lord, I pray for those who said, God, I want your power at work in my life. I need your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that the same power that we see evidenced in, in the book of Acts, in, in Acts chapter 2, as we see you pouring out your Holy Spirit upon the disciples and all those who were following you, God, I pray that you would do the same in the lives of people today as they say, God, I want all that you have for me. God, I want to experience your power. Holy Spirit, would you just fill me today? Lord, I pray that you would honor those prayers, and I pray, God, that you would empower people to do the work that you've called them to do. God, not for a, just a feel-good moment, but God, for a life lived on mission of carrying out the task that you've given us to make more and better disciples. And finally, Lord, for those who have said, I, I, I want to share my story, God, I'm, I'm committing to you this morning that I'm going to do that. I've been holding back. I've been keeping it to myself. But God, enough is enough. I'm going to begin to go public with my faith. I'm going to tell everybody I can. And Lord, I pray that not only would you empower them to do that, but God, we would see fruit on the other side of that commitment today. We would see people transformed. We would see communities changed. We would see neighborhoods different. Lord, I pray that because of the commitments that were made today, we would see New Testament type results, that we would see communities, entire cities transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we thank you, God, for this church. Thank you, God, for whom you've called us to be. Help us, God, to live it. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said.